everyone, this is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm here today with a very creative individual. He is a playwright and poet with an uplifting story that is chronicled in a new collection of essays that has just debuted titled A Story That Happens. Please welcome Dan O'Brien. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you. To start things off, would you mind telling us about a story that happens? Uh, yeah, it's a collection of essays that first began as lectures that I gave at the Sewanee Writers Conference. It's a writers conference in Tennessee for playwrights, fiction writers, uh, poets, and, and as of this summer for nonfiction writers as well. And I've been a playwriting faculty there many summers over the last um, 20 years. So each one of the essays in the collection was a lecture that I delivered in 2017, and then one in 2018, 2019, and 2020. They're meant to be craft lectures about I suppose, how to write a play. But I, you know, the only way I could really, you know, give a lecture about that would be was to make it quite personal and to try to tell my story about how I write plays, how I began writing plays, how I've changed my ideas about, about the type of theater I, I hope to create. And the essays were fundamentally influenced by having gone through and, and survived consecutive cancer treatments. One for my wife, um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015. Six months later, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. So we had about a year and a half of catastrophe, I guess you could say, uh, that's had so far a happy ending. So these essays were inspired and formed by that experience in a lot of ways, maybe most profoundly in terms of the idea that the trauma I think forces uh, people to reconceive of themselves and their identities. And, and because I think that theater and playwriting is fundamentally about identity, I felt like there was a real overlap of, of interest here in talking about you know, who I was post-cancer and then to talk about how plays are about the transformation of identity, the transformation of characters, the transformation maybe of, of cultures in relation to theater. And how did the opportunity to write this essay come about? It was part of the job uh, at the Swanee Writers Conference. Uh, faculty are invited to uh, deliver these, these, they call them craft lectures, where it's really up to you to decide what specific angle you want to take uh, in the lecture. Each of these essays in the book have a different topic, whether it's dialogue and subtext, conflict, the idea of conflict, character, characterization is the, the final essay in the collection. But again, it's, you know, it's really, the book is a hybrid of these of craft, memoir. Much of these essays are really just about me telling my story about different moments of crisis or trauma in my life, whether it was surviving childhood abuse, uh, being disowned by my family in my early adulthood, these two cancers that my wife and I experienced, relating these different experiences of, of trauma and survival to the creation of theater. It's not a how-to book. I think there, there are passages for sure that are very pragmatic, but much of the book is really about memoir. And then there's an, a layer of manifesto. Uh, each of the essays can't help but engage with what I think we've all been going through as a country in the last four years. Uh, for example, the final essay is, you know, very much about the pandemic, about being a theater artist in a period of time in which there is no theater, when we don't know what kind of theater um, we'll be returning to. So yeah, it's really an amalgam of those three strands of narrative, you could say. And your wife, Jessica St. Clair, is an improvisational comedian and co-creator of two sitcoms, NBC's Best Friends Forever and USA Network's Playing House. How did the two of you first meet? We go back a long way. We met in college. We were in a comedy improv troupe together, along with another great comic performer, Jason Manzoukas, who works a lot with Jessica St. Clair. We were all in the same comedy improv troupe. I like to say that this was when I was somewhat funny. 
I, I, may, I probably have lost whatever skill or talent I, I've had in the years since then. But I was an actor in college. I was a director, did comedy improv. That's how we met. And the first scene I improvised with her, I proposed to her and she accepted. I guess that proves how desperate I was for a date or something. But obviously looking back, it was a good sign that there was chemistry there. Uh, and we've been together ever since. We lived in New York for many, many years and uh, then moved to Los Angeles, where we've been for now many years. Right now, we're back for a long stretch in London as she's working on season two of a show on HBO called Avenue 5. So mm. we're here for several months. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, you were both previously diagnosed with different forms of cancer and survived. What is it like to look back at those experiences in hindsight? You know, it's an ongoing, for some reason, I hate this word process, but it is an ongoing process. You know, I think because I've written throughout my career, or ever since I started writing before I had a career, I've almost always written about trauma in one form or another. In some ways, it began as a kind of self-therapy to just to survive the trauma. But I do feel like I have a lot of experience for, you know, the process of grieving that takes place, psychological, emotional healing, and how it happens in stages and fits and starts, you know, accepting. Part, part of what happens is it takes time to accept, you know, even if you've survived a trauma, you've been changed by it. So there are things, elements of yourself and your life that are gone. But all of those points of trauma for me have also been filled with a strange euphoria or elation because I always felt that this was an opportunity to reinvent some aspects of my life, to recreate, but not to go back to how things were before, but to be creative again. That's assuming you can get through the trauma. And Jessica and I um, feel on a daily basis astonished and uh, grateful and bewildered um, that we're still here and knock on wood doing well no evidence of disease for many years now yeah it's, it's ongoing the essays it's interesting to me it may be interesting to readers the essays in the book because they're written one a year you know you may be able to see or read or sense the progression of somebody coming out of the cave in some ways of illness the isolation of illness the last essay in the collection, again, tries to draw parallels to what we're all experiencing with COVID as we all try to emerge from isolation and return to quote unquote normal life. It hasn't happened yet, but in some ways it, it, it is happening. And also to look at the ways in which we're all wanting to go back to normal life, but also wanting to do things differently. I know the theater culture want to come back to a theater that's healthier in many ways. Uh, and that's certainly the experience of somebody who survives something like cancer. You want to get back to normal. At the same time, you want to get back to a better normal. You don't want to go back to the life that maybe in some ways led to cancer. I mean, cancer obviously can be completely random and nobody had any control over the pan pandemic, for example. But I think that period of forced isolation and reflection, whether it's cancer or the pandemic, allows people to reflect and see how they want to live differently and, and create differently for theater artists. Yeah, and your story actually reminds me of someone I interviewed last year. Her name is Laurel Harris. She's a Broadway actress who, along with her husband, had COVID early on in the pandemic. Both oh, sure. Yeah, but they both managed to recover from it, and now they're currently expecting their first child. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful to hear, yeah. Funny, I have another book that published on the same day, a poetry called Our Cancers. You know, I wonder you talk about this couple. I, w I wonder if people who've been through any sort of um, trauma might have a similar, may be able to engage with what's in both of these books. You know, it's not just about the experience of cancer. It really is about the experience of any uncontrollable 
chaos or catastrophe that visits your life, which happens for all of us at different times in our lives, and how to struggle to get through it and the, you know, the greater awareness of joy that it affords you along with the moments of terror and fear. Even describing the trauma, of course, reminds me of theater. Do you know what I mean? The best dramas, at, at least I think, uh, wake us up to the reality of our lives, you know, in a way that an intensely challenging trauma like cancer will do the same. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a corny rhyme, but obviously the, the trauma and drama overlap is, is something is something real and something that's been meaningful to me. And that's why the essay collection has that, that subtitle on playwriting childhood and other traumas. And hiding in the other traumas is, of course, cancer or my family disownment. But it's that idea, again, that theater should, I think, plays should just shatter uh, something for characters and for the audience and then put things back together or invite the audience uh, in a, into a position of finding some meaning out of that drama, out of that trauma. So yeah, so that, I mean, that's that's kind of where I am. You know, it's still, it's an ongoing process. I've described the book, the story that happens is kind of perhaps a volume one. You know, I don't think of it at all. I've exhausted the different elements of craft that go into creating a play. And uh, I do think of it as a longer project, but the publishers, there's a publisher in the UK who published it first in the spring. And then this uh, US publisher felt that, and I agree that the, these four essays have a lot and have enough to, to speak to the current moment. And they, they wanted to bring it out now. And going back to the beginning, how did you first get started in your field? You know, I, I started writing as a kid, as maybe most writers do, creative writing and writing stories and poems and plays. And I would say mostly with poetry and fiction as a kid. I wasn't in a family that went to the theater. It took me until college and discovering a love and passion for performance that I hit upon playwriting as a way to, to blend my interest in, in storytelling and language with my passion for performance. So that was really in college. But the writing as a simple fact of survival began when I was 12. And my older brother, who was suffering from severe depression, attempted suicide. He jumped out of the window of our attic. And I was the one who discovered him immediately afterwards. It was a very traumatic experience, as you can imagine. And it was an emotionally and verbally abusive family to begin with. So I luckily found writing as a way to give voice to a lot of the thoughts and feelings that I wasn't permitted to give voice to. So it was therapeutic, I guess you could say, but it also ingrained in me a fundamental feeling that the writing that matters most to me is writing that, that often breaks uh, taboo and uh, crosses taboo lines, writing that, that has an urgency to it that you feel in the audience or as a reader, you feel that this author had to say what they were saying, was risking something of themselves in communicating this. When I teach, I always say, you know, what, what are you risking by writing this piece? And there are all kinds of ways to answer that. But I think that's a fundamental question. So yeah, I started there. And then I, you know, I started uh, writing plays in college, probably a big break. I mean, it was young and it feels silly to call it a break, but I wrote a play that won the National Student Playwriting Award and was at the Kennedy Center. And I know that was very encouraging to me. I spent a year in Ireland as a Thomas J. Watson Fellow with the fellowship that affords independent study internationally. And I spent a year independently studying playwriting and theater in Ireland. I think really it came down to acting in theater productions of David Mamet plays in uh, the smaller cities in Ireland. 
And then after that experience, I went to Brown for a graduate program. So I was, I was lucky to get into a program with um, writers I really admired, like Chuck Mee and Paula Vogel, who wasn't there at the time, but she had created the program. So that was formative too. And then I moved to New York. So that was kind of the trajectory at the start, got me going in that d- direction. I never stopped writing poetry or prose, but certainly the first 10 years of my career spent most of my time focusing on the playwriting. And you and your wife are both scriptwriters for different mediums. Do you have any interest in writing for television like her? You know, I, I haven't yet. It's interesting during, of course, the height of the pandemic and various lockdowns. I think every theater artist and I know playwrights were thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Do I write a novel? Do I write a TV pilot, a screenplay? Do I go get another job in some other field? Uh, you know, we've thought about that. Jessica and I have been putting together a pitch of a TV show that we would co-create. But it's all very early stages now. But previous to that, no, I haven't. I've been tempted at times to write for TV or maybe for film. I know I've, I've selfishly wanted to hold on to as much control over what I was writing about. And that, of course, comes with a big sacrifice because the theater, as everyone knows, doesn't really pay many artists a living wage. That involves a certain amount of scrabbling around and teaching. But I've just always wanted to write what I wanted to write. I know I'm a very solitary writer. I've never felt confident that I would enjoy or be good at being in a room, you know, sort of the writer's room on a TV show. But I also enjoy and appreciate what Jessica does in TV. I feel like I can live vicariously through her experience. And there's so much I appreciate about TV and film. Just the simple fact that there is such demand for so many stories in TV and film. And Playwriting can often feel like a very small world with far fewer um, avenues for reaching audiences. So I, I feel like I see the pros and cons pretty clearly of both genres. Yeah, I never would want to rule it out. I don't have any sort of aesthetic or moral stance uh, against TV. It's more about knowing what my particular or peculiar talent is. You know. And for those who have interest in writing plays themselves, where do you think would be a good place to start? You know, there are so many ways, you know, this was part of my confusion or anxiety as a young writer. You, and this I think is common to many people who are interested in a career in the arts, you look around and you say, well, where do I start? Where's the ladder to a career? You know, and the answer, of course, is that there are so many. But it felt, I know when I was a young writer, there's a lot of mystery around, well, how did that playwright who's being produced and seemingly having a successful career, how did they go from, you know, being a kid right out of school to that, or being somebody in another career altogether at another point in their life? How, how did they transition into a career in the theater? And, you know, I, I think it's somewhat mysterious. Obviously, for me, grad school worked as a kind of maybe one of the more boring avenues into, into the field. I wouldn't have gone if it wasn't a program that paid. It was very important to me at 23. I didn't want to have debt to be an artist if I could avoid it. But I know many, many of my friends who are playwrights who didn't go to grad school. What they did do, though, was they found a community. You know, maybe this is obvious, but theater is such a communal art form. Playwrights are often in a kind of bifurcated or almost schizophrenic position in that we still have to do so much of our work in solitude. And a play is hours and hours alone for months and sometimes years before it becomes a group project. But we need to be skilled at both. We need to be skilled at the collaborative 
meditative aspect of theater making, uh, as well as the solitary genesis all the way to that finished draft of your play, which is, of course, not a finished play, but a finished draft. That's all to say that, you know, the, the writers that didn't get any sort of schooling in playwriting, they still found, a, a, you know, a writer's group. They formed it themselves with friends. They found a way to share the scripts, discuss them, read them out loud, have readings, rehearsed readings, workshops, that sort of thing. And Jessica felt this way. She, her graduate school was the Upright Citizens Brigade. In the early days, really, that theater, when it was quite small, you know, she didn't go to grad school for comedy improv. I don't think that exists anywhere. But she had, you know, many years of tight-knit community. There were a certain amount of classes, of course, but then a lot of pragmatic, real-world learning. So, yeah, when I teach, I just always encourage writers to, you know, find where you want to live, find your community that way, and then to seek out like-minded people at a similar point in your career, not necessarily the same age. It's probably great if you can find people of different ages, different backgrounds, uh, but people that are all, like you, passionate about creating new work for the theater. And once you find your family or your tribe, you know, trying to maintain those relationships, keep them healthy and, and just keep creating because eventually they will get more and more notice and eventually, hopefully, it'll be easier to make a career in the theater. Before we go, do you have any other upcoming projects that you'd like to share with us? Let's see. You know, I've been so focused on these books, that, and now I do need to think about, about upcoming projects. I do have a stage reading that we're doing, a rehearsed reading, with Play Preview on September 29th. It's going to be a live read, but then it'll be available for, I think, a week. And it's of a play, a memoir play that's derived from, you know, actual investigation I guess you could say I've, I've done into my family. And it won a Pen America Award a few years ago. There were plans in the works for a New York production that got scuttled by the pandemic. So it's still kind of floating around out there. It was produced, it did premiere at, at Boston Court in Los Angeles, a really well-received production. So yeah, we're doing this reading and I'm going to be performing because of the memoir play and one of the characters is me. And because I used to be an actor, uh, I'm going to be reading the part of me in that so that's September 29th. And then I'm working on a you know, bunch of new projects at different levels of development. The newest that I'm comfortable talking about is an adaptation I'm doing of a memoir that was published last year called Borges and Me, written by Jay Perini. And it's about the time when he was a grad student at St. Andrews in Scotland, when he was tasked with chauffeuring the Argentine writer Jorge Luis Borges on a road trip through the highlands of Scotland. And it's a really charming book with some darker, heavier, weightier themes. And in some ways, it's a vacation for me because it's an adaptation. I feel like Jay Perini, the memoirist, has done much of the heavy lifting. And so I'm engaged in a kind of interpretation or translation for the stage. But I'm enjoying that a lot. That's been getting me through the pandemic. So I'm working on that. There are some plans for development in the fall still kind of vague now, but we're going to get it up on its feet at some point. Well, Dan, I thank you very much for devoting your time to this interview. It was great getting to talk to you. Of course. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really grateful for this opportunity. And for those who'd like to keep up with your career, where can people find you on the internet? You know, you, my website is always goddanobryan.org. Brian with an E. I'm on all the social media. Twitter is Dan O'Brien Writer. Instagram is by Dan O'Brien. That's about it. Facebook is just pictures of my daughter I've shared with my wife's aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles. Yeah, so look for me on Twitter or Instagram. That'd be great. Thanks again for joining me today, Dan. This was great. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. If you love this show, please leave us a review. 
Go to ratethispodcast.com slash podcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.